From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. Joining me this week are as my fellow game guru, Todd Campbell. Hey. And the man from behind the microphone, P.T. Douglas. Hey, hey. This week, we are going to do a game spotlight on 2012's Snakey Award winner for Game of the Year, Lords of Waterdeep. Now, this title has been pretty much talked to death among the gaming intelligentsia, but uh, the Snakes cast, of course, is for everybody else. So this game's kind of came up quite a bit as well during our uh, special series on women in games, and it's led me to think that we probably should give it a close examination because no other game came up as often as that one when the women on the panel were discussing games that were typically for you know, the hardcore gamer types, but which they really, really enjoyed, and which sort of brought them into the hobby. So we want to try and get some answers to that. Uh, guys, uh, you've, have you uh, played a lot of Lords of Waterdeep? I've played a lot of Lords of Waterdeep. Um, my fiance loves this game to the extent where anytime I bring a new game home that I want to learn for work, she often says, well, can we just warm up with a game or two of Lords of Waterdeep first? <laughs> Andy. I've also played this game a lot, which is why I wanted to jump in on this episode. Excellent. So glad to have you aboard, man. All right. So obviously we got the... Uh, the this, this is a game that I've found more than any other uh, in, the, uh, in, 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 the, in the strategy section of the cafe. It tends to get really good results with people who come in who are new to that area. Um, what sort of results, Todd, have you had presenting this game to uh, to people who are new to the board gaming thing but are a little bit curious about the heavier stuff? I've had really great results with Lords of Waterdeep. Um, at first, people are usually daunted by the amount of stuff that's in the box. and, and There the, is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff, and the setup can be kind of intimidating. But once you get down to it, the core mechanic is simple enough that people understand it right away. Um, and... I can usually talk people around the themes. So if I show people a box and like, ooh, it's a D&D game? No, I don't want to play that. <laughs> I can usually explain to them that it's, you could just think of it as herding cats instead of herding adventurers, <laughs> and that usually sells them on it. Um, I've never taught Lords of Waterdeep and not have it go over really, really well. The, the, uh, the tactic I usually use is that, uh, I'll say that in these fantasy adventure games, usually uh, there's some big impressive person with a big impressive hat giving you quests to go and do. You know, go over there and kill that dragon for me. I'll give you some gold and some experience points. But what makes this game different is that the shoe's on the other foot. The players of the quest give her outers. <laughs> you know, you're, you've got work that needs doing, but you're not going to get your hands dirty with that. That's what adventurers are for. You hire adventurers. They do the quests and you score points for it. Uh, PT, what's, uh, have you introduced this game to people like in your family in or my, other non-gaming friends? In my game group, every time a new player comes in, this is the game we, we bring out. I find it's a great introduction to worker placement. It's a great, easy way for people to get to understand what a Euro game is all about. And it's just, it's so much fun. It's its great for people who are advanced gamers. It's great for beginners. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. We've talked mm -hmm. about uh, both worker placement games and Euro games in previous episodes of the Snakes Cast. What do you think makes this one unique among worker placement games and among Euro games that makes it such a good introduction to those genres? It really scales well, two to five. I play a lot of two-player uh, Lords of Waterdeep, and it's just as fun and just as interesting as the five-player game. And the length of time, it's always going to be around 60 minutes. I've never had a game go Doesn't crazy overstay long. its welcome. No, not that's, at all. That's a really nice thing about it. A lot of worker placement games share that. Uh, one of the things that I think makes it uh, a bit more... Uh, 
attractive to a larger audience than most worker placement games is those intrigue cards. Yes. Mm. Usually yes. in a worker placement game, the interaction is very, very subtle. Uh, I can't really do anything to you. In Lords of Waterdeep, everybody gets a couple of cards and you can play those on other players to slow them down or set them back. And that gives weaker players a chance to get a leg up on the stronger players. That dastardly mm -hmm. mandatory quest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to get into the details. Let's start with how you set the game up. Todd, can you walk us through the process? Okay, you're doing the guru job at Snakes. You've, uh, you've, you've, you've convinced them that uh, the Lords of Waterdeep is a good game to play. You now have to open the box and set it up. Let's just, just walk us through the process of everything you have to do to go from opening the box to starting to teach the game. Well, once I have them pick their, uh, their color and give them all their pieces, you then need to uh, separate all the quest cards, give everyone uh, a quest, two quests each, and then the intrigue cards, everyone gets two of those each. I shuffle up the, in, the quest cards and deal out four, uh, putting all the cubes on the board, all the money on the board. Everyone gets a certain amount of money depending on which uh, position they are in, in terms of which uh, uh, their turn order is. And then the most tricky part of the game for me is getting all the little tiny ruby symbols and putting three of them on each <laughs> one of those turn counters. Right, there's eight little <laughs> spaces on the bottom of the board. Round one, round two, round three. But the game lasts for eight rounds, and it's sort of our clock to show us how close the game is to being over. And you got to put three of these little red victory gems on each of them. Yeah. So that we can see how long to go before the game's over. I, I have a question for you guys. At the cafe, do you have the cubes, or do you have the little D&D meeples? We've got the cubes. We've got the cubes. Uh. And you know, this is actually a thing that I use as a selling point for it. Uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the uh, uh, points that tends to be used against Waterdeep is the fact that instead of having little plastic figures representing fighters and wizards and stuff, you've got wooden cubes in different colors. I always sell it like this. I always say that, okay, uh, in every fantasy adventure story, in every fantasy adventure game, they all think that they're a beautiful, unique snowflake with a name and a backstory <laughs> and a character arc and hopes and fears and dreams and all this other stuff. You don't care about that. You are the quest giver outers. You are the lords of Waterdeep. As far as you're concerned, they're cubes. <laughs> they're interchangeable, they're expendable. It's, okay, I just need two of you stabby guys over here, and I need two of you guys in the bathrobes over there. Okay, fine, good, shut up, I don't care what your name is. <laughs> um, and that usually tends to do it, okay. <laughs> it would be neat to have those things. Instead I of have, having little purple cubes, having little purple wizards. I do have D&D meeples. They're oh, little wooden, they're about the same wonderful. size as the cubes, but the, the fighters have got swords and shields. Uh -huh. The rogues have got two daggers. The mages have like a mace or a wand, and the... Uh, Sorcerers have little pointy hats. Right. So and instead it, of it, having purple, white, and black, and orange cubes, you've right. actually got little people. Yeah, well, they're the same color. Right. So you can always, mm -hmm. you know, you can always go by color, but they, they're, I don't know. Right. I, I like to trick out my games. So. As much as I would love a copy of that for my game, I think in the cafe, the cubes help us out a yeah, lot. Because sure. just getting people past the D&D the &D themes sometimes is a bit of a challenge. Absolutely. Really once they start playing... They love they it. They just get it. Yeah. And it really has nothing to do with D&D. Nothing at all. I mean, well, besides a few characters and, <laughs> and places that might come up. And, and you know, you know if, if one of the quest cards that you get says you have to domesticate some owlbears. Right. Then, yeah. Yeah, but who reads all of that stuff? I mean, really what you need <laughs> is you need to collect two of the black things That's and right. one of the white things right. and three gold and things, and that will get you eight points. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, actually, we kind of skipped ahead a little bit there. Actually, the game works. We also forget about the buildings. You have to have a stack oh, yes. of buildings, yeah, yeah. and you set three buildings there, and you remember those three little red victory gems? You take the three of them for turn one, and you put them one on each of the three buildings for this turn. And everybody's going to get their little player mat, and they put their quests on one side that they haven't done yet, and 
put their money in their tavern in the middle, and everybody gets a lot of stuff in this game. There's a lot of stuff on the board. But once you actually get all that done, how do they go from there? What's, how does it proceed? Well, from there, I really just explained what each of the areas on the board do and how you can just take one of your, the first player takes one of their little agents and puts it on the board and gets a thing. So and then you, once, yeah, the agents, those little men that you get. Yeah, your little wooden people. Um, once they understand what each of the buildings do, then the game kind of plays itself. They can just uh, start going around throwing meeples down. And it doesn't take much for them to understand it either, because no. it, with, with, uh, the board, all these little spaces on the board, each of them will have a little picture of one of your little men, one of your little agents, and you can put it there, and next to it there's a picture of the stuff that you get when you do that. Right. So if there's a space on the board with a picture of an agent and two purple cubes, that means when you put your agent on there, you get to collect two purple cubes. There's a picture of four of those gold coins next to it. That means when you put one of your guys there, you get four gold coins. And I think that's got to be one of the biggest strengths of the game, is that it's so clear what does what. And those mm -hmm. quest cards, too. Yeah. Each oh, of those quest clear. cards has two important things. One, what does this require? What do you have to collect in order to be able to cash this quest in and do it? Secondly, what's your reward? What do you get? Once right. you've done that. And again, it's so clear. If there's, mm -hmm. it says under required, and there's two little black cubes and one little white cube, it's like, okay, that's what I have to get. Right. And under reward, there's going to be one of those red gem symbols with a seven on it. Oh, that means I get seven points. Yeah. It's so accessible. Uh, so one of the things on the board that we should talk about is the Builder's Hall. Right. And, it, and when you place your agent there, you're able to purchase a building which will then become another action space for other players to go. Right, it's another space on the board. Right, mm -hmm. so then you'll, can go there. you'll go there and instead of getting two mages or a mage at, and at the regular spot, you get three mages. But the person who has bought the building gets a reward if other players use his building. Right, so now whenever you make one of these new spaces, every time somebody else uses it, you get a little bonus. Right. So I, I mean I gotta I have to fanboy on Kalos a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Kalos, Lord, another another popular worker placement game, definitely right. more hardcore than Lords of Waterdeep. It, it is the big brother of Lords of Waterdeep. I, I firmly believe that, and I love both for different reasons. But uh, Kalos has the same the same sort of mechanic where you purchase a building and you get a reward when other players go. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, why do you think this game is so well loved by newcomers to the hobby? I think because it's so accessible. I mean, it, it it there's a lot of different strategies that you can use within the game, but it's still very simplistic. Um, nobody gets lost playing Lords of Waterdeep. Uh, whenever I field questions about Lords of Waterdeep at the cafe, it's usually about the ambassador or the um, what's the other one. Yeah, the sort of corner case oh. is the lieutenant. The lieutenant. The lieutenant. Yeah. Um, um, they, they come up, you know, maybe one game in five, and they're actually quite simple once you get it. But yeah. It, it's a great game because it's a, it's a almost perfect information. You're, the only thing that you keep secret are your intrigue cards, mm -hmm. which actually... Those cards you get to play on the other players. That's right. And, and uh, we'll come back to that. But otherwise, everything is open. So if you have a question with a player, a more senior player, or someone who's played before, you can easily ask for advice on what to do, and they can give you free advice without hindering their own gameplay or your gameplay. Uh, the, the only one that hangs up people is that entry card with the mandatory quest where they think that if they play it, it's on themselves. Right. Instead of on <laughs> yeah, You give it to somebody else. So right. until they deal with that quest, they can't do any of their others. They can't yeah. score any more points. And that's a really good way to sort of slow somebody down, especially if they're winning or if right. they're mm -hmm. better at this kind of game than you because they've been playing it for ages and you're new right. to, exactly. this, uh, to this whole business. Uh, you know, oddly enough, it's that same accessibility that is actually, has actually made Waterdeep kind of vilified 
by some within the gaming intelligentsia, you know, the more hardcore types, uh, claiming that it's, 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 it's so, ex the, the, that's the only strong point for it. Right. It's, uh, the, but they've had to dumb it down right. to the point where anybody can mm -hmm. play it, and as a result, there's nothing special left anymore. Do you think that claim holds any water? I don't think it does, but as I mentioned, this is the little brother of Kalis. Okay. So hardcore Euro gamers who love Kalis will look at this kind of like, oh, well, I just, I'd rather play Kalis. And others might look at the, those intrigue cards and say, hey, that's not fair. Right. Yeah. If the other players decide that they want to make me lose, they can make me lose. Right. It would be very difficult to go about doing that. I mean, I think everyone would have to gang up on the leader to do it, but I, I've never really seen that in, in this particular game. Do you think it's because Lords of Waterdeep... Uh, it, it, it is derivative in a certain respect. The people have oh, played yeah, these surely. mechanics before, and they feel like it's a ripoff. Actually, that's that. That could very well be it, because there's nothing particularly new or innovative about this game. What they have done is they've taken a lot of well-worn ideas from other excellent games and just polished them and mm -hmm. put them together into this really well-organized, well-designed machine that just moves so smoothly. Uh, it reminds me of like Blizzard video games. Blizzard Entertainment is a company makes video games, and they're famous for not really innovating very much. But whenever they make a new game, they'll take a bunch of ideas from other companies' games mm -hmm. and make and just polish them until they gleam. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's something that Wizards of the Coast has been doing a lot, I think, with their game designs. They did it with uh, Euro games with Lords of Waterdeep. They did it with Dudes on a Map games with Conquest of Nerath. They did it with Dungeon Crawlers with uh, um, uh, Castle Ravenloft and the games in that series. And they did it with mm -hmm. miniature skirmish games with Dungeon Command. That seems to be the, the niche that they're going for. But um, any event, uh, can, can you just? We haven't got a lot of time left, but can you speak a little bit to the Skullport expansion and whether or not it, uh, it's that's something that a lot of these sort of new people to the hobby are going to want to do? There's an expansion set for Lords of Waterdeep called Scoundrels of Skullport. Is it is it something they're going to want to investigate? I would say that for new players, it's just stick with the base game. It's it's very good on its own. For people who have played it a lot, it's fun to add in the Skullport expansion. Uh, I think it's, it's actually two expansions in the same box, Callport and Mountain. Undermountain, right? Undermountain, Under yeah. Uh, and the, I mean, the mechanic of taking, um, you take a, I forget what it is, but uh, there's another cube that you get. Right, corruption. Corruption, corruption. corruption that's right, yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy that. I mean, that's kind of neat. And you can force people to lose points by, you know, getting more corruption, getting them to take more corruption. Do you find that uh, Skullport uh, increases the longevity of the game? So after you've... Uh, yes, yes. Uh, hmm. Would somebody who's played Waterdeep enough to get to the point where they feel like they're kind of done with it, would that would Skullport yes. really rejuvenate this? And yes, add definitely. more. There's, there's more buildings, there's more quests, there's a few new lords. It definitely increases the longevity of the game. Okay, so if you're afraid that you might get sick of it, then that's a possible way of doing it. But right. it's not a mandatory... No. I, in fact, I would say if you're playing with new players, you definitely want to see Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Scott Moyle mentioned uh, a few episodes ago that he won't play Lords of Waterdeep without Skullport. Really? At this point. It's, it's, it's all because of the corruption. Yeah. <laughs> it adds that tension, makes it more interesting for him. So it's, it's actually a game that's got some versatility now as well with that, with that expansion added in. And you can play with, with one or both expansions. That's right. You? Yeah, either or. or you can both. mix and match. Yeah. yeah. More flexibility still. Well, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this spotlight on a game that certainly sees our tables at Snakes and Lattes a lot. If uh, this sounds like something that you want to try out, it definitely is. Bring some friends over. We'll be happy to teach it to you. Till then, I'm Jonathan Morieri with Todd Campbell and P.T. Douglas. Game on. Game on. Thanks for listening. Snakes and Lattes offers a unique service for your next party. 
Snakes on the Go board game catering. Your own personal game guru and an assortment of our hottest games right in your living room or boardroom. Birthdays, anniversaries, corporate team building, everything is more fun with board games. Visit snakesandlattes.com SOTG for more details or to book your event today. Until next time, I'm P.T. Douglas. Game on.